there's always risk involved in any decision, but which one's going to be way more fun to talk about, to reflect on, and even continue. Like now I can go snowboarding again, as opposed to staying on campus, studying for finals. Like who remembers that in the end? And, and I technically did really fail that coding interview, but it was for a position I didn't even want. Welcome to the Ranger Outposts, where we take a deep dive into unique journeys and the not so direct paths of builders, storytellers, and professionals. I'm your host, Richard Lee, and on the show today, how by understanding and prototyping your own goals led Claudia Chu to become the co-director for HackGT, a nonprofit student organization known for organizing one of the largest hackathons in the Southeast that challenges thousands of students to innovate and create new ideas every year. We are going to learn about how her upbringings as an Asian American woman in Alabama allowed her to generate a greater sense of empathy for her community. How her love for biology pushed her to have difficult conversations and further spurred her curiosity for genetic engineering. And how she discovered she could map a risk matrix used in computer science and apply it to her own life's decisions. I was born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama. My parents, they're both from Taiwan and they immigrated to the U.S. to study um, master's degree. So my dad studied um, electrical engineering. My mom did a master's in computer science and then they moved to Huntsville because Huntsville has um, a great technology scene happening. Um, they have one of the largest research parks in the country. So I lived in that area for my entire life. And inside that research park, um, it's called Cummings Research Park if someone's interested, uh, there's an institute called the Hudson Alpha Institute of Biotechnology. So every summer, my parents would try to send me to a summer camp and hopefully it's educational. And in middle school, I went to Hudson Alpha's summer camp. Um, and that's when I first got my introduction to biotechnology and genomics. And I, I always really enjoyed going there every summer because it was a very unique experience. We got to work at the wet lab, you know, pipetting things. Um, genetically engineering bacteria, learning some of the fundamentals of um, biotechnology research and sort of the progress that DNA sequencing has made up to that point. So every summer I found myself like always enjoying the summer camps and I participated it throughout, participated in their educational programs through middle school and high school. Um, in my senior year of high school, they have a very selective program where they pick one high school student from each of the high schools in the, in the county yeah. and have them do a whole summer long like training session uh, to learn like very advanced more, more advanced techniques um, about, about technology, genetic engineering. Um, mm. And that's also when I first learned about bioinformatics. So that will come into a little later in the story. That's awesome. Um, and it seems like you were part of this summer camp since say you were said middle school. Right. So, so middle school to high school at the end of high school this was like kind of your go-to summer activity yeah absolutely outside of some other volunteering things but mm -hmm. I, I definitely enjoyed uh going there first i was learning things i would never learn in the classroom also like the building was really cool um like you know how often do you get to work in like a professional lab setting and then like you walk by all the researchers doing their really fancy researchy things and so mm -hmm. especially for a teenager who's trying to figure out like what am i doing with school or school or whatever it's great to see sort of like that immediate impact yeah um, and that's enough but there's a lot of actually like startups in there and so one of them was making like glow in the dark beer which is really cool or another glow one was making beard yeah beard so they or would beer beer like drinking beer alcoholic <laughs> beer um yeah they were genetically modifying yeast right because yeast is what's used for making beer and so they're trying to get the yeast to develop certain proteins that would glow under say like a uv light so mm. that was a really interesting like startup that they have over there. Um, but maybe like something along more like what's expected with uh, genomics and biotechnology, of course, is the health side of things. So there is a company there. I really wish I remember their names. It's been a little bit of time. But one of them was building really small cassette tapes or cassette tape sized modules that you could take um, to places that don't have standard like lab equipment and you can still do uh, sequencing. And so yeah. that was very important for like epidemiology mm -hmm. um, in areas that don't have the kind of infrastructure that we might have in more developed countries. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Um, and I, I, I feel like that's not the most common thing for 
someone in Alabama to be like super interested in the sciences. So like what gra- what made you gravitate towards the, that concept, the, the, uh, the study around it at all and, and the summer camp for those may, for that many years? Yeah, I think I just had this inherent interest in biology. I'm a very outdoorsy person too. So I, I think it's sort of extraordinary how life even happened. Um, I think uh, one of my favorite organisms are trees and plants in general because they all stand in one place and they somehow survive and thrive. And it's like, you know, human beings cut them down all the time, but they are still like one of the most abundant species on the planet. And of course, that's one species. Then when you want to look into something more complicated, like say humans or other mammals, it's kind of extraordinary how like all the inner systems um, make us who we are and like now I can talk on a podcast with you. Like there's biological functions behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think I had that sort of interest throughout um, elementary school and high school, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, middle school. And I think understanding that there is some sort of underlying backbone or draft behind like what makes life happen, which is being DNA. I thought that was like so fascinating. And like, if you can understand, mm-hmm. you know, what was that blueprint, then that can give us a lot of information about, you know, what, what does it actually mean to be human? Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean for our past history? And what does that imply for the future? So I think that this sort of fundamental molecule, um, as, I've, as I learned over time, it doesn't fully define who we are, but it's still a very critical part of being human and also what it means to, to live and what does life mean? So I always thought that was such an interesting question. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what and- drew me to it. And that was the question that you asked in middle school, right? Well, I guess more formalized now because <laughs> after reflecting it, I'm not sure if like that was exactly what I was mm-hmm. thinking middle school verbatim, but I definitely thought it was so cool that yeah. like um, maybe at the time I was more naive thinking this is literally the backbone of uh, life. Um, and over time, as I learned more about it, I learned how, how many other factors are involved, but that doesn't take away mm-hmm. my appreciation for this really cool molecule that mm-hmm. sort of defines life as we know it on Earth. So your core love of like how everything's made biologically was kind of your starting point. From there, you like realize all these individual factors that come into play. And that even just spurred up your imagination and excitement even further. Yeah, and there's so many implications. And I will say I'm not one to be to shy away from things that might be controversial or um, touchy subjects. And I think in biology, there's a lot of very touchy subjects um, Mm. that I love to have really difficult conversations about, say, Mm. for example, evolution, Mm. Um, something that does sort of shape um, how I perceive this was, of course, being in a very Christian state, being Mm. in a very Christian community. um, There was, I could see in my curriculum, there was this like slight hesitance to talk about evolution because you know people have these certain beliefs and I think being um being raised in this kind of community makes me very aware Mm -hmm. of people's concerns um and so being very sensitive to that I think has been part of how (laughs) I think about things now Mm -hmm. or how I discuss it but I don't think it's actually kept me from having those harder conversations so there's like the evolutionary side of things in biology that's like that's a tough conversation I want to have tough conversations other side of things include like, um, and this was actually very early on, um, like policies or legislation to prevent insurance companies from discriminating against people with mm-hmm. like preconditions. Um, so they can't use your genetic information mm-hmm. to hike up your rates because you have a higher risk of some disease or some yeah. disorder. So there's a lot of implications behind like what this information can tell us. And I think I, I like to, I want to be part of those like hard conversations. Mm-hmm. I think they're interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully my goal is to be on like the good side of things, mm-hmm. but ultimately in the end, like everyone, there's really no like good or bad side yeah. because we only know so much right now. And there's a lot of unforeseen consequences in the future, but I Definitely. think that's what makes it so exciting. Definitely. And I, I believe those hard conversations will continue to happen, right? Just because number one, you want to be empathetic of the other side and not, demonize them right because that's that's just a wonderful part of science like it's it, it opens up discussions uh so you mentioned a lot about growing up in alabama how was it like growing up there as like asian american right so it's it's a standard story for for many who who live in areas that aren't doesn't have a high population of asian americans i will say that um i wasn't completely alone so huntsville being so there's a lot of uh 
technology, engineering mm -hmm. um, companies and industry over there. So there's aerospace, we have Basecamp, NASA, Boeing. Um, I think Blue Origin just built it, made an engine plant uh, and it's like literally five minutes away from my house. Wow. Um, we have an arsenal. So we have military here. We also have TVA, so the Tennessee Valley Authority, who generates the uh, energy because we have the Tennessee River going by. So there's a lot of technology happening in Huntsville. So that, of course, attracts a lot of talent, not just, of course, within the existing population, but also people like my parents um, from Taiwan so or from India. So there are there is a larger number of people there than uh, one would imagine. But as soon as you drive maybe like 20 miles out from Huntsville, um, yeah, it's it's very rural. Mm -hmm. People have never seen Asian people before or, you know. Um, so I definitely felt that, like, I was definitely different. Mm -hmm. But there was still a very small community of um, Taiwanese Americans, Chinese Americans that were in Huntsville, um, sort of linked together by this industry that brought us all <laughs> to mm -hmm. this state. So it was um, so it was predominantly essentially engineers, daughters, and uh, sons that are just like raised, getting raised up in uh, Alabama. Right. Right. Um, and it was, I had fewer Asian peers in elementary school, at least the way our school system worked. We had like six elementary schools, then two middle schools, and then two high schools. Uh, so once you start merging all of them, you get to see more of them. But yeah. um, in elementary school, I think there was only one other Asian person in my school, right? I was in my grade, not my school. There's, there's a few more. Yeah. Do you <laughs> um, have a story from that time, whether it be like middle school or high school, where you felt? being different or being part of the community or how did that make you feel? I think the primary way that being Asian has infected me was definitely how I treated school because mm -hmm. I definitely was somebody who wanted to meet other people's expectations. And there are some aspects of like Asian stereotypes that are like, you know, it's not bad to be smart, you know, yeah. or like be good at math. Like I'll take um, that. But I think, yeah, <laughs> um, and, but I kind of, I really took that seriously. Uh, I think partially it was because to fit in um, and to, like to be respected in that sense. It's like, mm -hmm. at least people respect smart people. So I might as well like live up to that expectation. So I really pushed myself hard, um, especially maybe not early on <laughs> in elementary school. Cause like we're just doing like basic multiplication, but definitely once like you're eight or nine and you're mm -hmm. like, you start to have like more clear cognitive processes happening in your brain and like you, you notice things and you care about what other people think. Yeah. Um, so that definitely encouraged me to like, one, like be really good at piano or like be part of the gifted program, mm -hmm. whether or not like you think a gifted program is a good idea or not. Mm -hmm. um, get in math team, um, do all the things that smart people are supposed to do. Um, and I got pretty competitive with it too, um, especially late so like fifth, sixth grade and a little bit into middle school. Mm -hmm. By the time I got into middle school, though, uh, that's when I met more Asian people and they are just as smart, if not smarter than me. Um, so that's when I started to like let go of the gas of like being super competitive. But yeah. I don't think it necessarily removed the sort of work ethic I developed along the way mm -hmm. of like, I want to get perfect grades. I want to get A's. Yeah. Um, and that and served I, you well. It's probably not very healthy. <laughs> but, but that did serve you well to where you are now, right? So. Uh, yeah. You, you and I both went to Georgia Tech. Uh, you're still in it. I'm an alumni now. Uh, what convinced you to leave, number one, Alabama, which is still your home, you've been there for like 18 years, mm -hmm. and pursue engineering outside the state? Right. This kind of goes into a larger philosophy I have of mine. I think it's partially because I'm very fortunate um, to be from, to have my parents who are very, relatively well off. Mm -hmm. um, and so they've offered me so many opportunities to like go to these summer camps, um, mm -hmm. fund me to go to out of state. So like I have, I have the option to pick these things. And so, um, I had the option to like stay in state and maybe like pay in state tuition, which is significantly cheaper yeah. or go out of state. And I think knowing that I had that opportunity, I felt that, you know, there, there's this aspect of money, which is yeah. important for some people. I'm fortunate that that wasn't necessarily a limiting factor in this decision. So outside of money, there's also time. And, yeah. and I think partially it was maybe upon reflection, like 
time became very important to me because at least reflecting back on my K through 12 years, mm-hmm. um, being so focused on getting good grades and things like that, I do wonder like how much did I miss? Like what mm-hmm. other experiences did I not take on because I was yeah. so focused on um, winning a piano competition or getting the top grade yeah. in this class. Very, or doing very really focused well on, this on project. singular goals type of thing. Right. And then it's like, what did I do with my time? Mm. Right. And I think having lived in Alabama for 18 years, I was like, you know, what's the best way I can use my time being 18 to 22 years old? Like what's the most effective way I can use this time outside of just money? Because mm-hmm. um, you can throw money as an investment, but so but as they say, like time is money too. Yeah. Time is money. Um, so if you want to see it in that literal yeah. sense. So you thought of, going to Georgia Tech was the biggest investment you can make with your time. Yeah, and, and not necessarily for like the return on whatever job I get, mm-hmm. but it was mainly the experience I would have, the new people I would meet, um, putting uh, myself in a challenging position where I would grow yeah. um, and develop something new, meet new people, uh, try new things I've yeah. never done before. And I think that to me was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so both, if I'm going to spend four years of my life, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I better enjoy it, especially if it's like when I'm young. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm kind of curious because I didn't really have a choice when I picked. Well, I did have, I, have, I had too many choices when I was picking universities <laughs> because everything was considered out of state from where I'm from, right? Mm-hmm. There's only one real university on the island. So you're like, everything's out of state. So I'm going to pay out of state tuition no matter what. Um, what convinced you to stay in the Southeast? Uh compared to like going out West or Northeast or even going international? What, what was a big factor in that? Um, well, part of it was <laughs> not getting into some of the other schools. So I did, I was limited in that sense mm. where like I stayed in the Southeast, but I think even, even just moving one state over um, was plenty. First, like my parents <laughs> felt very comfortable about it. You know, like it's only a four hour drive. So they, yeah. especially this semester, they've been visiting more frequently. Mm. My sister also goes to Georgia tech. And so my really? parents are a little lonely <laughs> at home. <laughs> and so they, they love to visit. Um, and, and I, and I still think that there's, st- uh, it's still a culture like I'm somewhat familiar with, yeah. but I think something, there was still a culture shock though, coming yeah. into Georgia tech. I distinctly remember um, freshman year walking around during facet which is georgia tech's freshman sort of orientation program and i was just astounded by how many asian people there were um, <laughs> and i was like wow i can make so many asian friends um so i think that was a culture shock already in itself and i can't imagine what i i do if i say went to a school in california yeah or or the northeast where like you would see even an even higher percentage and mm-hmm. i think in the end too even though like maybe the Southeastern schools or Southeastern states in general are considered to be more conservative. I think that's a good thing Yeah. Um, to keep that view in, in my periphery or my vantage point, because I think not, not that like schools are liberal per se, but I think mm-hmm. it's important to keep yeah. all, all po- viewpoints in mind. And I think that makes me more cognizant about other people, mm-hmm. more sensitive and more empathetic. Yeah, so, definitely. So I think that was important to me. It seems like that moving that jumping off point was a critical factor in what you're doing now. And as you came here as a freshman, like what were some like myths that you've heard, some stories that you could love to share with us uh, on like that first year experience? The first one that came to mind was freshman 15. And I was like, I did not quite hit 15, but like <laughs> it was essentially, you know, along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least like, that's like a more of the joking side. And I think that doesn't just apply to Georgia Tech, but it's just um, everyone in general is like, all yeah, right, 15 going pounds to college. <laughs> will come to me regardless of what happens. Yeah, I think I would, and this kind of goes into something else I, I find myself doing, but I definitely remember people saying like, oh, Georgia Tech is really hard. And I was like, I like a challenge. Yeah. Give it to me. Like you love um, the challenge apparently yeah. <laughs> from your backside, entire backstory. Yeah. So it's, I think I, I saw the challenge as like something to to conquer, I guess, in a sense of like, okay, Georgia Tech is hard. I'm going to put myself in this situation. And even if I fail, I would have grown so much out of it. Yeah. Um, so, so I definitely going into freshman year, I had that mindset knowing that Georgia Tech is really hard. And yeah. I think having that attitude set me up very well for the rest of my, my career, yeah. because I think my freshman year, I was like, okay, um, I had this whole journal set up where it was like borderline bullet journaling, but it was like 
without like the extra drawing and stuff, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I have the schedule. I'm going to time block X amount of hours each day to work on this. Um, and so I, I wanted to make sure I set up a foundation of good habits, Mm -hmm. um, going to office hours, um, talking to professors, um, doing homework on time all the time. Being very into the, especially being very intentional with your time, which is a very mature thing to do as a freshman, because I, I feel like when I was a freshman, I'll be like, so I'll go to class and I'll visit the TA when I need to. The homework <laughs> will get done. I just don't know when, right? So you were—you seem like you're a seasoned vet going into this. I was very methodical. I will mm-hmm. say, uh, I and, and I think it was partially because I—I I did actually get into that habit earlier in high yeah. school. Yeah, I'm um, seeing all these like ta- essentially habits translate very well into this situation. Um, yeah, I sometimes a, wonder. Sorry, I sometimes that, wonder if I'm like too focused on being a student. So like that's, it is your occupation. It is your occupation. Um, What is a story that you could tell us from your freshman year that was pretty definitive of what you experienced? Mm. I'm not sure how relevant, actually, yeah, I'll say this story. So the first thing that comes to mind was when I switched my major. So fun fact, I came to Georgia Tech not as a computer science major, but a chemical engineer. Um, the reasons why going to Georgia Tech was still the same. I was interested in biotechnology um, and genomics. And a huge part of that field is sequencing the DNA. And these are mm. chemical molecules that you need to extract and then yeah. read and then put into a computer. And I was like, mm. maybe I could you know, do, do genetic engineering or make the next sequencer. Mm. And so that's why I went into chemical engineering yeah and chemical engineering there was like this gt1000 so basic freshman intro course yeah. um to teach freshmen you know what are you about to get into yeah. right and what, is, what is this big jump you're about to do here's a class yeah <laughs> and i'm very glad they they provided that opportunity they had that class they also had all of us sign up for their like um american association for chemical engineers not mm-hmm. not exactly that but you know essentially one of those they massive national all associations yeah yeah and they would bring in like companies to do talks about what opportunities they had and I would attend them. And I think what's so great about Georgia Tech is because they do bring in these people and they inform mm-hmm. you what does your major look like. Yeah, and I found out with chemical engineering, that's not what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, I, I remember going to one of them and I, I don't know if it's BP or Chevron, one of the big oil companies. And I was mm-hmm. sitting like eating my free food or like free Chick-fil-A and I was like, this doesn't mean anything to me. I don't want to be part of big oil. Like that's yeah. not my original goal. And yeah. I, and before going to like the very first, like hardcore chemical engineering course, mm-hmm. um, I had a mentor and she yeah. gave me a copy of what the textbook looked like. And I looked at the first chapter and it talked about, you know, what professions happen in chemical engineering. Yeah. And it says like, you know, 70% of people go into big oil and then some other experts. Yeah. 70%. That's massive. I didn't even know that, actually. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm throwing out that number. Yeah. <laughs> this was, again, four years ago. Yeah. Um, but what the, the number that that really stuck out to me, though, is like, there are some people who do genetic engineering. I'm like, okay, cool. That's good. One percent. It's that much. Mm, okay. So mm. that was like, it, was a, it, was, it seems like an outlier at that point. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know, I don't think I'll really enjoy mm-hmm. being a chemical engineer because I'm going to learn a lot of other things that uh, aren't necessarily relevant to the direction I wanted to go. Yeah. I also happened to be taking a CS course that freshman year because all freshmen at Georgia Tech need to take yeah. this MATLAB course. And I was passing that class with flying colors. So I was like, maybe I'll do computer science instead. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I made that switch. And I think to me, I am someone who like, once I commit to something, I want to do it like all the way. So this mm-hmm. was like one of the major decisions I made where it's like, you know, I could just commit to being a chemical engineer, mm-hmm. but then again, this aspect of time came in. It's like, do I want yeah. to spend four years of my college career learning something I'm not interested in? Yeah. No. And, and then having to make that pivot was something like as a freshman on by myself yeah. um, in a place where I don't know anyone mm-hmm. uh, was sort of scary. But also once I made that decision, I felt very confident in myself mm-hmm. in that decision. So it seems like you have a clear process when you make these decisions. Like I think it's seen in your middle school days, your high school days, now college. What do you consider when you take these opportunities or which opportunity to take? Right. Um, something, and, and maybe it was like semi-developed before going to college, but I think it was solidified at my first internship 
So after freshman year, switch at CS, um, I took an internship um, at Hudson Alpha, <laughs> the biotech institute in my hometown, so free housing. But my mentor, uh, I can attribute so much of my growth to him. But I think he he gave some very sound advice that I tried to continue uh, to live by. Um, and it's part of my decision-making pro- um, process, which is establish a goal. Like, it doesn't have to be your final goal. But I think um, students, especially like students at Georgia Tech, we are very smart people. Um, we go to a great institution who's going to teach us so many great things. Mm. People will throw opportunities at you left and right. And um, you could, you know, take the first one that looks interesting to you at the moment. Um, someone might give you something very tempting mm. or like that gives you a huge salary or give you a lot of prestige. And mm. like all of them are great in the end, but something he really emphasized was you could do it that way. But most likely after a couple rounds of like moving around with different opportunities, mm-hmm. um, you might get lucky. And, and after, after the end of your career, you can look back and say, Hey, I had a pretty cool career. Yeah. But more often than not, people are like, um, when they're in a job that they no longer are interested in and they feel mm-hmm. stuck, they ask like, well, how did I get here? Yeah. You know? And like so multiple years advice, way down the road type of thing. Yeah. Like maybe short term, like it seems like fun to to move around, but like long term, when when you do want to find some more meaning in your life, yeah, or what you're doing, sometimes you find yourself in a very difficult position where maybe you have to go back to school yeah. to do something you actually realize you wanted. Mm-hmm. So he suggests, um, or my mentor suggested that establish a goal. Like, what's your five year, ten year goal? And I know, yeah. like when I was eighteen, I was like rolling my eyes or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's really true because what happens is. I get thrown a lot of opportunities. How do you decide which one to pick? Yeah. And like, there's technically no right or wrong, like objectively, but there's definitely ones that get you closer to your goal personally mm-hmm. than others. And that really helps um, first lower the amount of stress, you know, like what opportunities am I missing if I don't take this opportunity? Mm-hmm. Instead, you see it as which opportunity gets me closer to what I think I want. Yeah. And then so, if what so- you want changes, you just change trajectory. Yeah. As long as you're and going then, in the right direction, I think you uh, you find yourself much easier to make those decisions. Yes, um, and get where you want to be. So it seems like you you have this very simple process of selecting a goal. Um, how do you number one pick the goals, right? Because it seems like there's tons of goals to go for. Mm-hmm. And number two, measure yourself in the sense of how do I know if I'm pursuing the goal correctly or uh, how do I know if I'm actually pursuing the goal at all, right? Because it's easy. Right. The heart goes one way and the logic goes the other, right? So how do you do those two parts? Like select the goal in the first place and then measure yourself if you're doing the right thing. I think I got really fortunate again, finding a goal as of now, I think is where I want to go, which is this, this biotech genomics place. Um, and so I think part of which opportunities to take is ones that get, get you closer to whatever you think you're, um, hazy goal is, but also ones that would solidify that goal too. So part of the reason why I took an internship at Hudson Alpha my freshman year was like, okay, I'm going to really test the waters if I actually want to do like computer science in biology. Um, so it's sort of like a two in one where like, I think I want to do something, but I will take opportunities that would both grow and put me in that direction, meet new people who are in, who know more about that kind of goal or can help me solidify that goal. And also just experiences that will tell me whether or not that's something I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, so it's something that like, like no one has like a perfectly defined goals with all the specs and all like mm-hmm. the sub subheadings. Um, and even I'm not entirely sure exactly where I want to go with mm-hmm. um, this field in biotech, but um, taking opportunities to formalize that goal and make sure you, you can pivot and have room is something mm-hmm. Um, that I've taken. And I, after the course of four years, I've, so I've done this internship at Hudson Alpha. I also got to work at the National Institutes of Health in 2019. Um, I did research at Georgia Tech. Um, taking those opportunities um, solidified and also helped me build it up a network yeah. of people I can go back to and ask questions about like, is this the right way to do this? Or yeah. is there other alternatives I should consider? And yeah. them being our mentors, they can also offer me feedback about like, what are my strengths or uh, what can I work on? Mm-hmm. And like, what, what other opportunities are out there for me that I yeah. might be interested in? 
it seems like you've prototyped multiple experiences for yourself, which is like great to get those testings in the waters, uh, get those internships, those research opportunities to really confirm or essentially offer some alternatives to what you're currently doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like you've done a ton of official work in university, right? So I know there's a lot of goals involved. So what are some stories that you could say on the personal level that affected your growth, um, whether it be like time with friends, time with the community that you could really talk about? Yeah, so one of the stories that I remember very vividly, and, and it always go back to this idea about making decisions in time, etc. But um, sophomore year, it was finals week. And me and some friends um, just went to the Atlanta Botanical Gardens. They had this great light show. And after that, we went to a Waffle House and we were just eating and chilling. Um, and then one of them who frequently goes snowboarding offers to take us the next day. So it's, it's me, my friend, and this guy who snowboards. And I have never snowboarded before. And I was like, wow, when am I ever going to go snowboarding again? It's like winter time. There's actually snow in, in the Southeast. This is, um, he would take us to a place in South Carolina. Uh, I forget the name. And so I was like, wow, that'd be really fun. But at the time too, like I, I'm also generally a pretty conservative person with risks. Mm-hmm. But um, one other way I kind of decide like whether or not I take an opportunity is how much I would regret not doing it. So something I learned in my advanced algorithm class is that there is there are algorithms um, in machine learning that mm-hmm. uses like a regret function. So it's a regret it, function. It would like measure how much would you regret doing this or not, and like they put in some sort of numerical value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. When I was thinking about whether to go snowboarding, I was like really conflicted because I knew like, mm-hmm. huh, okay, technically I just met this person. Yeah. Dangerous side number one. Um, number two, okay, we're going to be driving away like three hours away from campus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a long drive. And, you know, what if some, what if we get in a car accident or some other sort of incident yeah. happens? Snowboarding, right? Like what if I get severely injured? Or, and, and technically I had like a coding interview the next day so like I was like hmm I don't know if I should do or like not the not the next day but the day after so it was also finals week so I would also have to drive home um Mm -hmm. so it was a little complicated and I remember calling my parents I was like mom dad like what do I do because like this is such a cool opportunity but there's a lot of risks involved my parents um being caring about my safety they're like don't do it but I can also say I'm so fortunate to have parents who recognize that technically I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. Yeah. So they told me, you know, we'd rather you not go, but we can't stop you if you did. Yeah. So at that point, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, I'm going to go snowboarding. And so we had got three hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. We left at five in the morning, um, drove over there, got there at like 7 a.m. and spent the whole day um, snowboarding. And I do not regret any of it, even though like I sucked at snowboarding. I fell so many times. Um, but I think that's what made it so much fun um, and so memorable. And I think that's one of the things I would always take away from um, my college experience, even though it wasn't directly related with college. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of the formative moment where I realized, you know, I can make my own decisions. Yeah. Um, there's always risks involved in any decision. But mm-hmm. which one's going to be way more fun to talk about? Yeah. Uh, to, to reflect on and even continue. Like now I can go snowboarding again, as opposed to staying on campus, studying for finals. Like who remembers that in the end? And yeah. like, um, and, and I technically did really fail that coding interview, but it was for a position I didn't even want. So yeah. it's like, so worked um, out at the end. Yeah, exactly. So of course, it, maybe it, hindsight, maybe mm-hmm. it couldn't have gone a, a lot worse, but yeah. um, I think, um, I think that was one of the moments where, I, I could like separate myself from my parents. Like I can make my own decision. Um, and I know some people develop that way earlier, but like yeah. um, I, I always go ask my parents for advice if I'm always unsure, but I can really appreciate that they um, give me the autonomy to mm-hmm. make decisions for myself. That's great. And it seems like your regret function was working properly or improperly, would you say? Uh, it's properly. I don't regret any of it. Like I was super <laughs> sore the next day, but like I don't regret being sore because yeah. that meant that like I, I experienced something yeah. new and different, and that's something I that, can always take away. That is awesome. That's so cool to hear. Uh, yeah, I'm just imagining the same things I've done. I've done the same. I, the funny things I've done the exact same thing. I went. I went snowboarding in Switzerland on Thanksgiving Day, and I didn't know how to snowboard, and 
they told us a warning before we went up. They're like, so we asked, how long does it take to get down? They're like, oh, 40 minutes if you're really good. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know what 40 minutes if you're really good meant until I got up there and we were above the clouds. I'm like, oh my God, it's my first time I strapped on a snowboard in my life. Oh no. So I spent hours going down and thought I was going to die. The entire way down, I'm like, is there a way to climb back up? Apparently not. It's like literally a 45 to 50 Oh my slant. goodness. So there's the only way down was down. So I, I remember doing it and my friend saw me later. Like, what happened to you? I'm like, I think I just survived a near-death experience. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't regret it now. Now I'm not scared of snowboarding. But I, I, I did see a lot of parallels. So it seems yeah. like you have this awesome like regret matrix that is completely fine-tuned to some levels of risk right because you've clearly taken some risk in life um and that kind of pushed you into hack gt where we met right so right. tell us about like how that started and how that is now ending uh and that journey right i think again i'm someone who is always up for a challenge and i think that's also what the mm -hmm. my regret function was taking into consideration when i went snowboarding yeah yeah i remember when i first applied for the team um what i understood about the org was like wow they threw they throw these really massive events so typically hachi t the organizing team hosts are the biggest hackathon in the southeast in the cost computing building on georgia tech's campus and I remember my friends were going. At the time, I was still a chemical engineer. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't do this. But I walked in anyways, technically snuck in. Um, and I saw like how many people were around. Like they had so much free food. Um, so many people were just hacking away. I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. They had so much free stuff too. So like as a freshman college student, I was like, this is what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always thought that was really cool. And when my friend said, oh, the team applications are open. And I was like, yeah, I can, I can make some friends and like do something else other than classes. Cause I think at that point, like, um, you know, I, I got, I got into the groove of like studying for courses and I wanted to do something different. And I also have some previous organizing experience from high school. So I thought like, huh, okay, maybe I could do the operations yeah. team at Hakshi T. And I remember doing my interview, I believe it was spring in January, so beginning of the semester. <laughs> and in my interview, I just ranted about my whole organizing experience um, in high school. And then suddenly I was in the team and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool, right? Like these are, <laughs> and we were doing things like I wouldn't, I wouldn't learn in any of my courses at all. So I'm trying to remember what my first project was. I think one of the first things I worked on was like making the admissions criteria for that year. Um, and I and remember which, which year was this? this was 20, 2018. Okay. So about two years ago. Yeah. And I, I remember like someone, they just asked like, who wants to work on this? And I was like, I have free time. I'll go do it. Um, and cause like that was something I haven't done before, but I have some ideas and mm -hmm. if they're asking for help, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I remember spending several hours like working on that and then meeting with the executive team about like, does this look good? Making edits and stuff like that. And I think that was one of like the first big tasks I did. And what I really appreciated about the org was that they even offered general membership opportunity to just give them a task and like let them run with it. And I think that's something I see consistently with this organization. That's like, you're not tied to your role specifically. Technically, I was an operations director, but pretty much like if there was a task that needed to be done, like you have the whole freedom to like just take yeah. it on. It. Um, and make it as what you want it to look like. And so I think that was a very empowering moment. Um, and I forget what other things I was involved in, but like they put a, the organization puts a lot of trust in its, in its mm -hmm. members to run things. So like during my first big hack QT in October of 2018, I remember running food for the first time. And I think that's part of that experience was, you know, like who, who, who feeds a thousand people? Yeah. Like not a lot of people get to do that. Um, and so that was, in addition to that, I thought it was um, really cool to sort of see that impact. Like, yes, I'm giving everyone food. Um, maybe I don't get to interact with them one-on-one, -on -one, but I almost, I get to see almost every single person attending the event. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like such a cool concept and having that sense of like, I was responsible for making part of this happen mm -hmm. was super empowering and like one kept me in the org as well. It was, yeah. it was not, it's something challenging because like, um, you don't actually get trained for it. <laughs> you just, yeah. you're like, do it. And you're like, yeah, there's oh. no training. It's, it's yeah, exactly. Like you're kind of thrown in. Um, and I think 
And I think it's partially also like, you know, there's a certain level of risk of like, you might mess this up and everyone will be mad at you. But I think there's a whole lot of reward on the other side too, of mm. getting to see all the, the participants, getting some of the food yourself, um, having that sense of um, ownership over what you've worked on was something great that I think HatchyT does an amazing job empowering its members to do it if they want that opportunity. So the following yeah. year, I looked for more leadership positions and something they did was introduce a new, a, a new event um, that was going to be like more arts and tech related. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to lead that. And so you just said, that, I'm taking this project. Technically I applied and then I oh, think so people voted. So process. technically mm-hmm. I was the only person who applied for it. So I automatically won, which is. So you won uncontested. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, at least they didn't say no. Cause it now yeah. would have been a problem, but yeah, I think that was, it was my first test of like, not just doing individual portions of an event, but like mm-hmm. hosting an, like an event from like beginning to end. And I think yeah. what was especially unique about this leadership position was this was the first time Hatch-T had hosted this event. This event's mm-hmm. called Horizons for those who might be familiar with that. And, and so not only were we just, you know, planning the, the standard logistics of like buying the food, making the lines, getting the tags and whatnot, it was formulating like, what was the, the whole purpose for it? Um, you know, like what was the mission? Like what, what did we want the participants to achieve? Because I think, and and especially through that experience makes me appreciate like hackathons are more than just cookie cutter, like do the same thing every year. You want to be very intentional about like the resources you provide and Mm -hmm. to, to achieve some sort of goal for your participants or for your team. Um, I think that makes a much better experience. And that's actually when we met to talk about designing horizons. Mm -hmm. So that was your first time running it. Yes. So that that's fascinating because I remember I was like, I think I was approaching you. I was like, oh, she's experienced. She knows what she's doing. They're just doing this over and over again. So I was just there to give you my two cents. Hopefully that helped. I think it helped. I don't exactly remember what you said, but I'm sure it helped <laughs> in some capacity. Yeah. <laughs> because Horizons was such a different concept than the traditional hackathon. How was it different uh, for the audience members? At least? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hackathons, maybe we should have backtracked a little bit. Typically, uh, a standard hackathon is not is not like breaking security walls or whatever. Hackathons, at least in the collegiate sphere, is where you, like many students, come together, um, either physically or virtually now, um, to create something new or build a project um, in, a, in a short period of time. So standard HACGT events, so the ones that we host in the fall, um, it's a 36-hour hackathon um, in, in person. Everyone would go to the class computing building, where um, people can form teams, start creating really cool projects, meet with sponsors. Sometimes sponsors bring challenges as well. Um, And so, yeah, the goal is to just create a really cool project. Um, Sometimes people do it to get the prizes. It's also a great opportunity to learn new things. So there are workshops, there's mentors. I mean, along the way, the organizing team's um, responsibility is to make sure they have those resources. And then also everything else to support the hackers, like giving them food and coffee yeah. so that they can get through the, like fueling get through them the weekend. the 48 hours. Every yeah, day. exactly. So that's typically what um, hackathons look like. It's just a short term, um, like grinding away a project that maybe you didn't get the time to work on um, yeah. during school. And how, now, Horizons, how was Horizons? Oh, sorry. Yeah. You got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But for Horizons, it's similar. It was a 24-hour hackathon. But um most standard hackathons are, are very software oriented. And I think software lends itself to being able to be developed in a very short period of time. Um, hardware related things, on the other hand, tend to be a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Another thing too, is that it, um, as an organization, we are made up of more than just CS students. Um, and we want to also provide this kind of opportunity we give to CS students to other majors on campus. And we do have some people, even if they are CS or not, like they're very interested in the arts and if we could provide some sort of similar experience to them or some opportunity for people to explore the arts, um, that would be a really great way for us to expand our audience and reach on campus. Mm-hmm. And so, so with Horizons, we ended up with this sort of two-way street kind of uh, mission, which is one, to offer the sort of opportunity and the resources for students who are already in the arts um, to apply technology and create something amazing and collaborate with other people of different disciplines and conversely uh, because our because our audience is primarily cs students 
expose CS students to other ways they can use their technology yeah. skills outside of just like basic like app development or yeah. web development. Like there's so much more creativity um, that that's out there. And also um, treat it as like an outlet in some ways to do something new and different, um, not something that like a course or, or company would allow you to do. Mm-hmm. So Horizons became a little less about the competition and like, you know, making like the cleanest web app or whatever, but like really have exploring some artistic expression and finding creative ways to incorporate technology mm-hmm. to um, be art itself or to enable art. Yeah. Um, so and I think... I- I, I actually remember you mentioned a lot about storytelling, like the idea of storytelling, the idea of like bringing new media into it. I thought that was fascinating when you brought that into Horizons because I was like, oh, this is so different from a traditional hackathon. Because I remember I mentored it a ton and they're like, so I'm going to make this app. I'm like, what's your problem you're solving? What's the point of this app? They're like, it's just cool. We got this new API. We have to use it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, was, it, was, it was really refreshing to hear that. And you've progressed to your last hackathon this, this, uh, this last fall. How was it running a hackathon pretty much completely virtually for that scale of what you're doing? Right. I think it's, um, I will say it was admittedly like every year, you know, people really look forward to the in-person event. It's part of like what even like makes the team really close is because mm-hmm. putting people in stressful situations is how people become friends <laughs> or how people connect. And um, something we, of course, were very, I'm disappointed about was the fact that the coronavirus was not going to go away anytime soon. And even if it did, um, it would be very irresponsible of us to put people at risk of Mm -hmm. spreading the disease or being, um, yeah, it's basically just not a great, it would not be a good decision Mm -hmm. to try to host something virtually or sorry, in person when you have over a thousand people in a single building and like hackathons themselves already are not the most sanitary things. And that was something mm-hmm. we were already trying to work on with like encouraging people to have better, like healthy habits, like going to sleep <laughs> and like keeping hygiene. Yeah. Um, and like people get sick after, after hackathons already. So let alone having a pandemic going around, this was not a great idea. Mm. The second thing too is, you know, like when do you decide to go virtual? Um, for me, it was like, you know, you have to commit early. I think something we saw with many schools this um, from pandemic about their trying to react their reaction to like you know how do we approach this mm-hmm. and maybe it's a little bit easier for a hackathon organization given that you know hackathons are generally software oriented so we're not as um, tied down to physical things as much mm-hmm. as schools but something I really wanted to push was you have to decide to go virtual or in person very early on mm-hmm. you can't do anything in between Because what happens is like, you think you'll get best of both worlds, but you get the worst of both worlds because Mm -hmm. none of them is neither approach is like actually fully fulfilled. And something that I brought from horizons and just upon further reflection is like, you need to be very purposeful about like what you're trying to do. Um, And think critically about, you know, like what, what does virtual lend itself um, more so than in person, Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to translate directly making a one, one-to-one um, function to, to translate this in-person aspect to um, virtual. So for example, like something very trivial is like, well, you don't need to have lines in a virtual event, right? Mm-hmm. So like why try to replicate this idea of like people standing in line for something? Because yeah. first of all, that wasn't even enjoyable to begin with. Yeah. So like why, why do that? Yeah. Um, so why have cues? Why have, um, why replicate things. Why why replicate all the horrible things just because for the sake of replicating them? Yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe something more like reasonable because I'm sure like people don't want to Mm -hmm. like replicate lines or at least intentionally. It's like how we run workshops and I wish we had more time to like better develop this. Um, And I think we, um, HackGT and Ranger actually partnered on this too for one of our workshop events, but um, typically what we see in classes is that the professor is like, okay, well, What's, how is how is your virtual blue jeans call different than you know me talking in front of a whiteboard during yeah. in a lecture hall? So you have like a massive call with over a hundred students, and then one lecturer sharing their slides. Yeah. And like theoretically, it would work, but clearly it doesn't. You have a huge lack of engagement. People have their cameras off. Yeah. Um, who knows what they're doing on the other side? It's hard for the instructor to get feedback. And so something that 
we enjoyed like sort of experimenting with. Um, one of the events we hosted this year was Hachi Tini, which is just a workshop series to help mm-hmm. prepare students who um, either want to learn new things or be prepared for their first hackathon. Um, we had a series of workshops and we partnered with uh, many organizations, one of them being Ranger, yeah. um, to sort of teach them like the fundamentals of say web development or app development. And sort of unintentionally, we found <laughs> this as an opportunity to experiment, like which kind of setup worked the best mm-hmm. to uh, that's engaging people get the most out of it. And so for Ranger, they, they chose their model, which was um, keeping the groups very small, no more than 10 people. Um, and then have an instructor um, teach those those 10 people and like get to know them on a first name basis. Um, and that provided a much more like intimate uh, learning experience. Mm-hmm. Other um, other organizations we partnered with, they, um, they did something more like a standard classroom style where you had one person talking, mm-hmm. everyone else um, on the call, either like typing in the chat, maybe jumping in, um, turning on their microphone. And then the other one was more asynchronous. So yeah. pretty much students kind of learn on their own time. And then if they needed help, there was somebody available basically for office hours, the entire yeah. event. So if someone needed help, with something specifically, there was someone available. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to see like, what are the pros and cons of each of them um, in terms of like engagement and um, retention. So this was like a four to five hour long event. And, you know, it's a lot to ask people to like stay online for four to five hours on a weekend when they yeah. already spend their rest of their week on online classes. Um, but we found that that model where you have like smaller groups um, saw had a higher retention and higher engagement. Mm. And I think uh, from our feedback from participants, they felt like they got to know um, other people in the group and it was a much more meaningful experience. Now there's also the overhead cost of like trying to um, pull that off uh, again. Yeah. Pull it off or um, coordinate, you know, how do you get the 10 people in each one? Um, Getting enough instructors is another one. So it makes that, so there's like a cost. <laughs> there's a trade-off. There's definitely a yeah. there's definitely a trade-off when we operate that way. Yeah, well, it, was, then, it was it was really yeah. nice to host them. I think I think our hosts really appreciated that small levels of interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then we saw that with maybe the more standard lecture style, we it did a little bit better than say the asynchronous one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely it depends on the, the people like what their goals are, and I think. Yeah. Um, each, each one has its benefits and depending on like what your goal is, who's your audience. So like, there are some people who really love the asynchronous one because they can learn at their own rate. Um, sometimes people do learn really quickly and like being in a session where maybe other people are moving a little bit slower tends to, for them to be a little bit of a drag. Um, and that like takes away from their experience. So it really depends on who you're working with, what they're interested in. Um, and then what, what the kind of overhead cost is. I think I read a book called um, what's it, Power of Moments and something that kind of changed my worldview about things was, you know, sometimes like don't think too much about being practical. I think many of us like being logical and, and smart Georgia Tech students want to think, you know, like this is like the most efficient way to accomplish X, Y, Z. But there's a lot more than just the results. There's also, you know, the human aspect of yeah. collaborating or creating moments that actually means something right yeah. so going out of our way to like why do we host birthday parties right it's like it's just somebody's birthday just like yeah. mail them the Amazon just gift and like yeah <laughs> but like there's something meaningful about like taking the extra energy to you know deliver a cake make a cake mm-hmm. like there's just something um more meaningful in that sense and so it, it, i think it translates to you know how do you make a good event or how do you yeah. make a good initiative that's meaningful and like maybe it's there, there's certainly smart ways and dumb ways to go about things, but um, I, I don't wish I, I learned to not restrict your options based on just pure practicality. You have to consider like, is the actual work worthwhile? Like how much extra gain in, in value do you get by putting a little bit of extra work in yeah. say finding more instructors or um, coordinating it so that you can get smaller groups. Yeah. Um, while that might take more effort, the award, the rewards increase. And so ha- thinking critically about like what that reward versus cost looks like is something mm-hmm. I, I've learned to appreciate more versus just pure practicality. Like, oh, that's too complicated. We might as well just stick to the status quo. Yeah. And you know, or maybe, maybe you don't know, but you can at least experiment to see like, is there something better that's still manageable 
but like exponentially increases the kind of value you give for your participant or your audience. Yeah, definitely. I I think it it essentially shows the quality of the work you do, right? It's like that small marginal thing that really ups the quality of everything. Um, And it seems like now you're reaching the end of your HackGT experience. Uh, what are your some What are some thoughts that you have as you're exiting it uh, and near graduation in the next few weeks? Yeah, I will say HackGT has been a huge part of my entire college career. As I mentioned, I joined it freshman year, and I've been in this org for for pretty much the rest of my my college years. Um, something unique about HackGT too. Um, maybe not exclusive, but something I appreciate is that HackGT is like almost nonstop. We pretty much, we work through the summer. Um, so it's not just like during the school year. It's something that um, you can work on continuously. So it's um, reflecting back on that experience. I realized just how much time I put in that organization mm-hmm. and also how all the people I met, like they're all so incredibly passionate and smart. And I felt so um I feel so fortunate to have met all these people in this capacity, Um, got to be in very stressful situations together, get to celebrate together when we pull off an event, Um, also be critical about um, the events and being very open to, you know, growing our organization, giving each other feedback about how to be a better leader, a better member, um, how to approach a certain problem differently. I think ICT has offered that opportunity that I'm not sure how else I would have found it. Mm-hmm. I know for, and, and I think it worked for me because I like to um, be independent in some ways about like, okay, give me like, what's the problem? I'll go solve it. Yeah. Um, and I think HGT is a great, was a great place for me to do that. And this past year being co-director, that was like the ultimate position where there's nobody telling me what to do mm-hmm. actually. Like I was the one calling the shots, um, me, me along with my co-director. And so I think it sort of elevated every year, like the degree of like how much independence, but of course, like with independence becomes a lot more responsibility. So Mm -hmm. um, every year I learned something new. So this year it was, and it was especially challenging with the pandemic, but I think that only added to how much I learned, um, which is like how important it was to look out for your team that you're representing all these members. Mm -hmm. Um, You have the power to give these people responsibilities and experiences that they will grow to appreciate. Um, after their time at HGT. So for example, with COVID, a lot of people lost their internships and um, it was not my idea. It was actually somebody else on our on our exec board. We thought, hey, what if we like started like an unpaid, like a fellowship kind of experience for within HGT? Because we recognize some people, you know, their, <laughs> their original opportunities for the summer were gone and we want to find ways to support them. And so yeah. we had some people do this fellowship where we found some, sort of internal projects they can work on independently, uh, that would be some benefit to the org. And at the very least, it would be a great experience for them to learn. They could still put a project on their resume. So upcoming fall career season, it's not like my summer was empty. They could um, actually put something there to further their career. And what came out of it was was a great internal tool we actually plan to use for the long term, which was fantastic. Um, And then also it helped people... Uh, and of the people who participated in it, we found that they took on even more in Hack UT. They they found a whole lot more passion and love for the organization, mm-hmm. and they um, they are actually like looking to do more leadership. Uh, and yeah. so, looking into you know, it, as a leader, your your job is to empower other people to be mm-hmm. leaders, not not necessarily the exact side of things, but to lead themselves, be independent, yeah. um, and take initiative um, for what they believe is important. And I think that was something that as a general member, you don't realize mm-hmm. that your exec board or your other leaders are pushing you to do in that reflecting on it. I realized huh, that's what previous exec was doing to me, was yeah. offering me these opportunities. Um, and that's very important to keep up the momentum mm-hmm. every year for the organization to stay afloat. And I think it was especially critical this year, given that um, it's really challenging to keep up team morale, really yeah. challenging to recruit new people virtually. And I know several other clubs are struggling with this. And I think HGT is fortunate that we do have mm-hmm. the infrastructure, the kind of goals that can somewhat translate to be virtual. Um, yeah. Other clubs don't have that luxury or is it much more challenging, especially if maybe theirs is more like physically based. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really amazing to hear. And it seems like you've learned a lot of lessons as we're now reaching the end of your 
uh, undergraduate experience. Uh, what would be, say, two to three advice pieces that you would give to people coming into college, people currently in it, uh, people still figuring out what they want to do? What would be your three pieces of advice? I will reiterate what I mentioned earlier. Um, consider like what's valuable to you. So um, is it money or is it time? And either either it's fair. I am not um, condoned. I am not criticizing anyone who makes decisions based on financial reasons because that's mm -hmm. perfectly valid. Yeah. Um, I, I found myself in the fortunate position where I could consider both time or money um, yeah. in my decisions. Um, so consider like what's, what's important to you and then use that to help develop your goals um, and, and decide which opportunities to take. Mm -hmm. Second is to ask for help. There's, there's no one out there who does everything alone. And if they do, I think, <laughs> I feel like they, they could have gone even farther if they had mm -hmm. had the support of others. So lean on other people, help other people to um, pay it forward. I think we get a lot more from our experience when we do it with other people. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have really great mentors over the past couple of years at my internships and during any classes or my research experience. Um, who are there to help um, and they and everyone wishes everyone else the best yeah um, and then lastly like don't be afraid for goals to change like sometimes like we don't want to fall into this like sunk cost fallacy it's like okay yeah. I've already spent all my years doing this like I have to fully commit um, but this kind of goes back to the first piece of advice which is like evaluate like what's important to you mm -hmm. and and I think don't undervalue time. And sometimes you'll find that, you know, <laughs> you might've sunk in a lot of time in this already, but sometimes it's time to change. And there's, and also don't blame yourself for making like the wrong decision earlier, because like similar to science in any other discipline, it's like, we only, your decisions were made on the knowledge you knew at the time. And so don't be afraid to change um, your goals and don't, and forgive yourself if you feel a little bit bad for not making that change earlier. Because in the end, there's, of course, many different factors involved. Life is not super simple. Um, it's not a basic equation, but be, be, be ready for that change yeah. <laughs> when it happens and um, commit to it fully. Mm -hmm. Commit Committing to those changes fully. And I, I think a lot of these newcomers or listeners would really appreciate these pieces of advice that you had to live through, right? Like those are all earned advices. I think that's the most fascinating things about these lessons. They're never usually from vacuum. Right. Uh, it really you comes from, it. yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> from experience. Um, is there people or organizations that you love to give a shout out at the end now? Of course, Hakiti. I know I've already shouted them out way too much, but <laughs> again, it's been a huge part of my experience and I encourage any student who, who might be attending Georgia Tech and are looking for an organization um, that makes a big impact on campus and in, in the country really does challenging things. Um, I do encourage you to apply in the future um, or consider looking into going to their events to meet the organizers. There's some really cool people behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, also, um, I will say Georgia Tech doesn't have the greatest sort of like school spirit um, and like I think that's really unfortunate, but I will still say I, at least coming into like literally the last two weeks of my college career at Georgia Tech, I can really appreciate um, the people here, both like the professors and the administration who, who are actively trying to um, prepare students for the future, give us challenging courses, um, push ourselves um, to be better engineers, better software engineers, um, provide experience to do undergrad research, um, bringing in companies so we know what we're getting into i think georgia tech on the administration side has done a great job and like allowing me to realize what i did and did not want yeah. and i think that's an important job and the other part too is of course the people here and it's not just hack gt it's people in my classes it's people in my dorm my roommates um, other people i just happen to come across there's some people doing really amazing things on this campus and that's mm -hmm. um, really inspiring it pushes me to do better um and of course um, these people are more than just work. They also have a lot of fun doing yeah. it too. So shout out to Georgia Tech overall. 
Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I came to this. Uh, glad, glad I came to Atlanta and came to Georgia Tech. As I think there's a lot of experiences that um, I would, that, that is honestly priceless in, in many ways. Just as you are thanking them, I'm pretty sure they'll be thanking you for all the hard work and efforts and magic you essentially put into the campus because it, it really does take a little bit of magic to make this all work. So yeah, thank you so much uh, for being a wonderful guest on our podcast. Um, and we'll talk to you very soon, Claudia. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Enjoyed talking about my college career, especially now that I'll be leaving uh, very soon. So it was a great opportunity to reflect on it and offer my advice, paying it forward to anyone else who, who might find this, uh, this story compelling. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of the Ranger Outpost. We'd love to hear from you, so send us some comments and feedback to at Ranger Outpost on Instagram as we set up our official website and email address.